Volume Two, Chapter Two of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith, Volume Two, Chapter Two. All the following day passed without any tidings of Cathcart in search of whom the anxious eyes of Celestina were continually turned towards the window. Mr. Thorold went out to his farm, and among his parishioners in his usual way, and had charged his wife to let Celestina be mistress of her time, and not to importune her with questions, or even with conversation. To Arabella also he had given the same injunctions, but the native politeness of Celestina had made both the ladies believe she was pleased by their conversation and interested in their concerns, and to avoid the appearance of rudeness or singularity, Celestina now forced herself into some degree of attention to their endeavours to entertain her, listened to the details Mrs. Thorold gave of the affairs of the neighbourhood, and gave her daughter her opinion of the most elegant mixture of colours in a work-bag she was composing for one of her sisters, heard with patient politeness a long poem, written by young Thorold, who was now at Oxford, and assented to the justice of Arabella's complaints that there was very little rational society in the country, that everybody now forsook their distant seats to pass their summers at some watering-place, and that unless one could enter into the amusements of an inferior circle, there was to be found in the country no amusement at all. So passed the long, long day, and another, and another, in the same manner, relieved by nothing but the silent, though tender sympathy, with which Mr. Thorold himself seemed to enter into the feelings of his fair, unhappy guest. He looked at her with eyes that told her all the concern her situation gave him, and appeared hurt that both his wife and daughter, though they behaved to her with all the attention and kindness possible, seemed not to understand that on a mind like hers, in its present situation, the common occurrences of life could not be obtruded but to pain and fatigue. He, however, spoke not to them of what, he feared, they had not delicacy of feeling enough to comprehend. But knowing of the expected letter from Willoughby, he became towards the noon of the fourth day almost as anxious for its arrival, and almost as uneasy at its long delay, as Celestina herself. Her solicitude was by that time becoming insupportable. She could no longer conceal it under the appearance of attending to her hosts, but took the opportunity of Mrs. Thorold's being engaged in domestic business and Arabella at her music, to steal into the garden, where she hid herself in a sort of alcove, cut in a hedge of holly and other evergreens, that bounded the garden towards the road, and there gave way to the tormenting apprehensions that corroded her heart. It was now Tuesday. Willoughby had been gone since the preceding Wednesday evening, and had he gone to London immediately, and written from thence as he promised, the letter must long since have reached Cathcart by the return of the post. 
but she knew that unless he was greatly changed it was not to the post he would entrust the conveyance of a letter on which her existence perhaps depended the delay therefore aggravated all the terrors she felt but another day passed and she was still obliged to endure them to disguise her distress however was impracticable and without hoping to impose upon her friends by so common an artifice she was at length compelled to say that she had a headache which was very severe unless when she was in the open air and that she was rendered by it quite incapable of conversation having thus obtained the liberty of wandering alone in the garden she passed there the whole morning of wednesday sometimes reflecting with the bitterest regret on the different prospects which were before her on the wednesday of the preceding week and sometimes bewildering herself in conjectures on the cause of their having thus vanished from her spring had within that period made a rapid progress but celestina no longer heeded the beauties that surrounded her hers was now that state of mind when tis naught but gloom around the darkened sun loses his light the rosy-bosomed spring to weeping fancy pines and yon bright arch contracted bends into a dusky vault all nature fades extinct even flowers of which she was passionately fond had lost the influence they once had over her fancy she saw them not or seeing them only recollected that willoughby had shown her at alverston a bed of such hyacinths whose bloom and fragrance he had fondly anticipated knowing how much she delighted in them she remembered with a sigh each particular leaf and blossom that composed the last nosegay he gathered for her on the morning of that day when they were divided never as she now feared to meet again such were her sad recollections as hardly knowing what she did she traversed the grass walk which was divided by a hedge of evergreens from the road her mournful reverie was interrupted by the sound of horses feet she flew to the gate it was cathcart who on perceiving her threw himself from his horse and gave her the long-expected letter which she received with such marks of extreme agitation that cathcart afraid she would fall left his horse to find its way to the stable and came to support her she leaned on his arm attempting to speak and after a moment's pause said cathcart you have had a letter also i have before i have courage to open my own tell me is willoughby well and are there hopes of our seeing him again he is well answered cathcart but of seeing him again he gives me no hopes to you perhaps he may be and i hope is more explicit celestina stayed not to reply but hurrying as well as she was able to her own room tore open her letter which was in these words london april three seventeen eighty eight what must be the misery the man endures who only a few days since had the immediate prospect of calling celestina his 
and who is now compelled not only to leave her but to leave her uncertain whether he may ever again dare to entertain that hope whether he shall ever see her more how i have loved you celestina how i still love you i surely need not repeat this passion you well know grew with my growth and strengthened with my strength you will not therefore believe that any circumstance can diminish any time efface it yet such are the barriers that may be between us that perhaps i may never dare again to see you or only when i have submitted to the dreadful sacrifice required of me and given my hand to one to whom my heart must ever be a stranger and yet celestina if to this i ever do submit it will only be to enable me to place you in the situation you deserve as to fortune and because it matters not if i cannot pass my life with you with whom it may be my destiny to pass it for then it must in every event be equally unhappy celestina i am aware of the appearance my conduct must have in your eyes aware of it without having the power to explain it i have sworn that i will not unveil this fatal mystery till i either can see you with all those delicious hopes unimpoisoned that were so lately mine or till i have learned to regard you not with less affection for that is impossible but with i bewilder myself i know not what i would say only let this be understood as my meaning that wherever i may be or whatever i may become my fondest affections my love my esteem must be yours it is more than probable that i shall go abroad and you celestina whither will you go suffer me to name my wishes though i hardly dare hope you will comply with them why should you not stay at alverston if ever i return to it you will be its mistress if i never return you might find a melancholy pleasure but again i am wandering from my point i will not dictate to you my lovely friend i who am incapable of judging what i ought to do for myself for in the midst of my reflections a thousand bitter possibilities distract me celestina may renounce me as unworthy of her may learn to despise me or what is yet more dreadful she may learn to love another <gasps> celestina should this ever happen should you ever give that heart which it was the glory of my life to possess to another and yet situated as i may find myself it may perhaps be but i must conclude while i am able and call off my thoughts from myself to promote celestina's future comforts if i can yet contribute to it who have perhaps been its destroyer do not write to me expressions of your anxiety and regret i cannot bear it is as much as i can now do to keep my senses gracious heaven that ever i should say to celestina do not write to me cathcart has my directions how to act in all pecuniary matters at alverston and to stay in the house till he takes possession of his own 
which I suppose will be as soon as old Winnington dies. Then he will continue to superintend the farm and to receive the rents, out of which I have directed him to pay you fifty guineas every quarter, and to answer any further demands that you may make upon him. And you must not, Celestina, refuse this, for remember that the master of the whole fortune should now have been yours, and that you have a right to this trifle, perhaps to much more. But if these reasons are insufficient to conquer your reluctance, remember, Celestina, that Willoughby, the unhappy Willoughby, asks it of you, with the greatest alleviation his wretchedness now admits of. Wherever you are, let Cathcart give me constant information, and whenever I can tell you that the weight which now presses on my heart is removed, I will write. Write! No, I will then fly to my Celestina from the extremity of the earth. Perhaps I may now be in a few days on the sea, but I go no farther but to the south of Europe. Celestina, it would be a very great comfort to me to hear from Cathcart, before I go, what you intend to do. It would be a still greater to know that you determine to remain at least this summer at Alveston. But you are now with a most excellent man who is capable of advising you. In him, Celestina, you will have a friend and protector. Oh, why is it my lot to refer you to another for protection, when to be your friend, your lover, your husband, was so lately the first hope, as it has ever been the first wish of my existence. But I am running again into useless repetition. Celestina, if I ever seemed worthy of your regard, give not away hastily those affections which were mine. If ever I can claim them again, we may be happy. If not, but I cannot finish the sentence. I know not what I would write, nor am I able to read over what I have written. May God bless and protect you. Adieu, dearest Celestina. George Willoughby Celestina read over this letter the first time in such perturbation that except a general notion that notwithstanding Willoughby had involuntarily left her, they should meet no more, she had very little idea of its contents. Hers were sensations of anguish, which no appeal to friendship, no participation of her sentiments with another, could mitigate or appease. Cathcart knew no more of the motives of Willoughby's conduct than she did herself. Mr. Thorold was equally ignorant, and to neither of them could she look for consolation. She tried to recover her composure. She a second time read the letter. It grew more and more inexplicable, and after having anxiously waited for it so many days, its arrival seemed now only either to embarrass her with new conjectures, or to torment her with apprehensions of his marrying Miss Fitzhaman, for to that the close of the first sentence evidently alluded. Nothing but the natural strength of her understanding could have supported her under the first tumultuous sensations of redoubled consternation and wild conjecture which now assailed her. 
the longer she studied the letter the more impossible she found any explanation of willoughby's conduct still the assurances of his unshaken attachment sweetened the bitterness of her destiny he was living he still loved her her situation therefore however uneasy was not desperate and as the first astonishment at the incomprehensible contents of a letter which was expected to clear up every doubt subsided she saw less cause of despondence and again she examined every separate paragraph trying to extract from all that would bear it something to cherish that hope without which her existence would have been insupportable every request of willoughby had with her the force of a command but that he made in regard to her continuing at alverston was so worded as if he hardly himself thought she ought to comply with it the impropriety of it appeared evident but in every other instance she determined to be governed by his wishes and as far as was now in her power to contribute to his satisfaction by affording him all the consolation that depended upon her of the pleasure of living for a beloved object though perhaps personally disunited for ever of believing that wherever he was her ease and happiness were ever in his thoughts she was fully sensible and she now found in it a consolation so soothing to her mind that she was soon enabled to return to cathcart who waited for her in the parlour with more composure than on her leaving him it was likely she would soon obtain she found herself unequal to entering on a discussion of the letter which she gave to cathcart to read and on his returning it in silence but with a look sufficiently expressive of his astonishment she told him that nothing remained but for them to fulfil as nearly as possible all the injunctions of willoughby he desires me not to write to him said she even in that i shall with whatever reluctance obey him at present and so i certainly shall in what relates to following the advice of mr thorold a little time will be necessary before i can fix on any plan of life but as my dear willoughby expects to hear of me from you tell him that i bear our separation cruel as it is with fortitude and calmness convinced as i am that our connection is not broken by any cause that ought to make me blush that it had ever been intended she stopped a moment to recover her voice which faltered and almost failed and then added no cathcart whatever has divided us i have the firmest reliance on willoughby's honour and on his love said cathcart you may dear madam with equal firmness rely and though these perfect convictions render this strange separation more wonderful they will i trust sustain your courage through it i say through it because i am almost certain it will be of no long duration ah cathcart cried celestina mournfully i would i could think so but it is indeed very fruitless and very painful to enter again on these bewildering conjectures in which as there is no end there is little use and i have need of all my spirits to enable me to support an evil for which i cannot account 
I will not therefore waste them in guessing or lamenting, but employ them to obey him to whom my heart must, in every change of circumstance, and though I were certain never more to see him, be fondly and faithfully devoted. Tell him so, my good friend. Tell him how well I bear this severe blow, more severe as coming from an unknown hand, and assure him that if he will allow me to write to him, I will not distress him by useless complaints, or aggravate his sorrow by representing my own. Again she stopped, while Cathcart expressed his admiration of her just and noble resolutions, and after a moment, finding the exertion too much for her, she added hastily, "'Tell him thus much, Cathcart, in the letter you will of course write to him this afternoon, and tell him that your next letter shall inform him, if it is still uneasy to him to receive a letter from me, of the arrangements I will make under the guidance of Mr. Thorold for my future life. But say that they will be such as will render his generous intentions as to pecuniary matters needless. I would fain explain my thoughts in that respect, but in truth I am not able just now. Some hours of reflection will be necessary to me. Farewell, therefore, dear Cathcart, for this morning. I shall, of course, see you again in a few days. Cathcart assured her he would be with her again the following Friday, or the intervening day, if he received any new intelligence from Willoughby. She then charged him with many kind wishes and remembrances to Jessie, who was now, he told her, so confined by her grandfather that she could not get to her, and then took his leave to return to Alveston and execute the wishes of Willoughby by giving him a minute detail of all that had passed with Celestina. End of chapter 2